I'm used to the countdown, bugger. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the 30 second countdown. I was going to get a recording of you on a separate episode of Bear Hug Club. I was like, right, what did you say at the start so I could emulate it? No. Action. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Bear Hug Club podcast. I am Scott here to host another Ultimate Top 10. Um, this time, I'm repaying the favor uh, that was offered to me. Uh, so generously, uh, and I am consulting Greg on his top 10 best favorite and most beloved wrestling matches of all time. Hello, Greg. Hello, Scott. Thank you for having me. Hello. So we, uh, so we, we did, uh, wow, we did, (laughs) we did um, start last time by just kind of like getting into what, because these, these lists are entirely subjective. So oh, I'd yeah. like to get into what what brought you into wrestling in the first place, what you look for in like a good wrestling match, what really like what 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 may what constitutes a a good story in the ring. Sure. Well, I mean, this is the thing with my list. So because like the reason why I, I've kind of rushed myself into the third episode, because so far I've only done you and Garrett. I still need to get around to doing Jace, and I think Oliver wants to do one as well. Um when I was putting mine together, it was really hard. I've swapped a bunch of shit out. I think I'm going to have a couple of honorable mentions. Not to, not to your level, Scott. You, you'll, you'll forever be the honorable mention man. I was about um, to say, you're, you're kicking in my sandpit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're stepping on my turf, man. Get, get out of here. Get out of here with that. Uh. That's my niche. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when I was putting together, I had the kind of... You know, like that kind of thought process, like as if you were putting together a, a playlist, right? You don't, you, a playlist, I, wa- I want this list to kind of represent what I love out of wrestling, what's been my journey of re- in wrestling, what's meant the most to me. And even there's just some things on there that I just like there because they're just fun and I just really enjoy them. So that was kind of the mindset. It was something I wanted to kind of represent a lot of my favorite wrestlers. I want to represent a lot of my favorite companies eras and just stuff that was very personal to me and that kind of told the story of my journey so i think i think people are going to learn some pretty cool shit about me today it's gonna to be quite Hell insightful yeah well, what was your first exposure to wrestling as like uh full stop like what 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 did uh what happened to young greg uh, young greg i i remember bits of fragmented stuff so i it was definitely my brother that got me into wrestling so it was kind of like it was very passing of the torch. So he's, as he was going into his teenage years, I was becoming about the age of six or seven. And as he was getting out of it, he kind of showed me. So it was kind of this thing where, like, he left watching wrestling and I took over. That uh, makes sense. The Wilson family relay race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just remember, I, I kind of got into it at the perfect time as we get into the list, but like, I. Started watching very end of 2000, and I had all of 2001, which was my first proper year into it. So you can tell that was kind of the most banging year uh, ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I've had a lot of coffee. Um, so what a time to get into it. I mean, end of the Attitude Era, but that 2001 was was kind of a very landmark year, especially when you look at the, f- the beginning of the year, because you had the back-to-back pay-per-views of the 01 Rumble, No Way Out, and WrestleMania 17. Um, yeah, it was kind of like the perfect time. And, and really, from there, it was just kind of my own thing. Like, he he showed me it, but he never showed me 
what his matches were, what stuff he liked. He just showed me a pay-per-view once, and then from then on, it was just all down to me to kind of explore this crazy new world. Fabulous. And that's, I'd say, like, that's a defining, like, era, that little sweet spot just after the 2000s, I think has defined a lot of wrestling culture in terms of its fans today. Like, that, that Stone Cold Steve Austin sweet spot is... Um, uh, whenever I speak to a lot of other people, um, uh, ironically the same age as me or similar ages to me, they always reference getting into wrestling around that period as if like that sort of how it's described like car crash TV really captured the minds of, and the imaginations of, uh, very impressionable few seem to be wrestling fans in a way. Yeah. It's almost cartoonish in the way it held itself. Uh, to, to a point, yeah. I, I'd say peak Attitude Era, that's when it certainly could feel like it. Like Because for a lot of people, Mania 17 is what they consider to kind of be the full stop on the Attitude Era. I'd argue the whole of 2001 up to WrestleMania 18 was the sort of the the end. That was the finale, I suppose. Yeah, Ruthless Aggression. Because that, yeah. 02 is when Ruthless Aggression kicked in and, you know, they were firmly... They got the F out. It was now WWE. The Federation was over. Um, yeah, and like it, 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 it maybe didn't stick the ending perfectly because I know a lot of people hate the invasion angle. I personally have a lot of nostalgia for it. Again, that was my first proper year watching wrestling. This is how I got my tutorial on WCW versus WWE. And obviously at that age, wrestling was real. It was a real thing mm. to me. So I, I legit thought... There was this evil company invading WWE, and I thought at the 2001 Survivor Series that there could have been a strong chance WWE was going to go out of business. I really did. <laughs> so say what you want. If you're an adult fan and watch that, I understand. But as a kid, it was one of the most mind-blowing things ever and it had a lot of real drama to it. Hey, at the end of the day, uh, a magician can baffle you with a trick again and again and again. But as soon as he tells you the trick and how it works, you can still appreciate what's happening but it's that initial kind of like oh but what if wwe get out of business now kind of like <laughs> once you're in that bubble it's precious it's really precious yeah 100 man 100 um all right let's crack on into your top 10 because i feel like uh i've got google open uh just in case <laughs> i don't catch any of these references uh, see also earlier in my podcast tenure with the ju um, Jumping bomb, bomb Angels. Yes, Jumping Bomb Angels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, at the time, had no idea who they were, and when I looked them up, I was very, very happy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I got Google. I got uh, Google open, just in case you stump me with your cool, obscure wrestling knowledge. But don't worry. I've got the internet I to help I me. I think you're going to know a few of these, but I, like I say, I have got some honorable mentions. Um, I'm not going to read all of them. It's, essentially, I'm that much of a nerd. I write my favorite matches that I like in my phone as an uh, as a note. This is just something I've always got. So whenever oh. I see something I really like, I just add it so I can remember because cool. sometimes my mind is pretty shit. <laughs> so, That's dope, though. That's dope. It's like you said earlier, like a little playlist. Yeah, essentially. Uh, well, Big ass playlist, this one. Um, let's just run through a few choice ones. I'd, I'd have to kick it off. This one would probably be a solid number 11 because this 
it's it's hard to say what was the first ever match I you've ever seen, right? Like, but for me, this is the one I always say because it's the one that always sticks in my mind and was what really opened the door. And that was um, the six man Hell in a Cell Armageddon from uh, 2000. Um, a lot of people do not like this match. I understand it's a bit of a car crash, but that's kind of why I love it. It is just crazy and all over the place. Um, Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit from the Royal Rumble 2001, which is, for my money, one of the best ladder matches of all time. But obviously, WWE can't ever talk about it. There's a lot of people can't talk about, but there you go. Uh, we got Rock versus Hogan from WrestleMania 18. I'm not Very the biggest good. Hogan fan, but that is the one match I really love. Uh, again, Hogan versus Warrior from WrestleMania 6. Love that one. Uh, we got Pete Dunn versus Ilya Dragunov from Progress Hello Wembley. We got Tyler Bate versus Walter from both Progress Hello Wembley and Takeover. What was it? Was it was it was it Takeover Cardiff? I want to say Cardiff. We'll I say Cardiff. Say Cardiff. People can correct us if they want to. <laughs> um, John C. Uh, controversial one. Because this this was number one in Garrett's list. Uh, CM Punk versus John Cena from Money in the Bank 2011. A lot of people would be surprised that only an honorable mention, but I will explain that later on. Uh, Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy from uh, the episode of Raw back in 2002, where Jeff came within an inch of becoming undisputed champion for the first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Solid one right there. Uh, a match that made that we did our uh, one of our first ever uh, matches in see on, which was uh, Volta versus Trent Seven from Super Strong Style 16 2019, day two. Uh, Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros, A double, double or nothing 2019. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lynn versus Rob Van Dam. I've got Hargo Heaven from 2000, but you can pick anyone from those ones. Same with Mike Awesome versus uh, Tanaka. Great stuff there. Uh, and a whole bunch of progress stuff. I'm not gonna just we're launch like all the classics, like Jimmy Havoc versus Will Ospreay, Walter versus Riddle, loads of stuff there. So, yeah, that's just a couple of what could have been in a Scott size honorable mention list. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, and you know what? I I appreciate it. That's a that's a damn strong list of just honorable mentions, and you are right. It is TakeOver Cardiff. I've looked it up. So whoever was going to correct us, uh, quickly delete that comment and get <laughs> out of town. And then get out of it. Get out of here. And then come back and keep listening. And then when do you finish listening? Get out of here. Um, but please come back. We appreciate please you. Please come back next episode. <laughs> please. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, that a lot of those that I heard on that list, especially... Um, done Dragunov uh, I was surprised because I was thinking that was going to be on your top 10 which makes me very excited to see what's up there um, yeah um, what, a, what a solid group of honorable mentions as well a lot of progress we need the progress representation around here spoiler alert it ain't going to be the last you've heard of progress today <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'm I'm very excited. I hope. What was the name of the event that we went to see in the Electric Ballroom where they were put they were putting on like uh, like doing funny bits? Basically. Oh, you mean you mean the one where they acted like it was the 1980s, right? Yes, yes. I believe I believe the it was it was the it was the show name was basically the date we saw it, but instead of like 20, I think it was 2019. It was like 1989 because they did right. one. 
the year prior where it was set in the 70s and it was the same kind of motif like the announcers pretended they were they basically had that whole thing of like um one of them was really when you were sit back one of the announcers were really softly spoken english and the other guy was like bringing up the major Yorkshire accent, which you hear on commentary on sports a lot back in those that, that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Smallman was in a suit. <laughs> and yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of the wrestling gimmicks they were doing were 70s inspired. And then they were supposed to do the 90s the year after, but then that was when COVID hit. So. COVID, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I remember like, what that was the first time I'd watched Progress live. And one bit that particularly caught my heart, um, because I always knew Paul Robinson... Uh, wrestled as a heel and one of the biggest heels and a uh, uh, big fan of Greg. Um, but when, <laughs> uh, but when he came out to um, Dirty Dancing, I was just like, "Man, wrestling's great." Yeah, where, right? where, where else will you find this? Wrestling's great, uh, and if if a company can make me feel like that, then they're way worth your time. I think I think what popped me massively for that show is um I can't remember because like, like again the whole point of the night is it's the wrestlers that they usually have a progress but they're wrestling different names and gimmicks and they kind of kept a lot of it surprise other than revealing the names and they did the classic AE's trope of like it was like a very Russian sounding name against a very American sounding name so I thought okay so the Russian guy is going to be Ilya Dragunov and I don't know who the award is but it's going to be some American wrestler and they're really going to hamp up the gimmicks but then when when the match happened. They completely swapped it around, so it was Ely Dragunov coming out as the American guy, and I think it was Sugar Dunkerton coming out as the Russian. So they completely <laughs> pulled like a complete switch from what I think people were expecting. It was so good because that's the thing. Dragunov is a very muscly blonde dude from a from afar. You'd think like Vince McMahon esque American wrestler. Yeah, yeah, I I love Dragunov. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're number 10. Number 10, kicking things off. So I'm, I'm kicking things off on a very fun note because I love all sorts of wrestling. And one thing, I, I'm I'm firmly in, in the camp that comedy does belong in wrestling. Now, I, I, now on that caveat, it needs to be done right. Like, it, like there's a lot of stuff in there with it, especially when you look at WWE where they've tried to inject comedy and stuff and you're just like, this is terrible. Um, but... For this, this is like one of my favorite comedy matches because it, it gets the blend of comedy and in-ring action, right? And we're kicking things off with the Anti-Fun Police versus Team Tremendous from Progress, Chapter 79, One Big Neck with Sausage Hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everything about what you just said is just so good. <laughs> so uh, for those who aren't familiar, we actually did... Uh, this is another matches you need to see we did. This is like one of the second or third ones we did. It was me and Garrett. I think it's on one of the very early podcast episodes if you want to go listen to it in full. Um, the way the match is built, it's essentially, again, the anti-fun police or British police against Team Tremendous, which was Dan Barry and Phil Carr, who were like the American police, and that's the way the match is set up. So uh, as the commentary says, it's um, it's the Fuzz versus the 5-0, essentially. And uh, the whole match, it starts off just, essentially the first half is just straight, more or less out-and-out comedy between the two teams. And then after that, it develops more into like the proper match side of it. And it's one of those matches where the phrase Big Man Lucha gets thrown around because these are some big boys for the most part, except for Chief Deputy Dunn. 
Um, and they fly around this ring. It's incredible. But when you're looking at the comedy side of it, 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 it kicks off in the right way. So essentially, the match starts with a chant from <laughs> the fans uh, chanting that because uh, Chief Debbie Dunn's got tights on, and obviously he's part of the anti-fun police, and it's a police badge with no fun written on. And Dan Barry points that out to the whole crowd, starts chanting, he's got no fun on his dick. (laughs) 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 So they're like, he's got no fun on his dick. dick. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Um, I I don't want to spoil too much because it's one of those ones you need to go watch, but this is a match I've seen countless times. I I, I just show it to people, even if not a fan of wrestling, because I'm just like, like, watch this, you're going to laugh. It's absolutely hysterical. Um, Basically, finger guns get brought out at one point, and it's like something out of an action movie. I, I have seen I, that clip. I yes. posted this on our Instagram. Now that now that I'm saying that, yeah. So if you want to check it out, there's a clip of it on Instagram. But I'd say go watch the whole match. It's great. I think when I saw that clip on our Instagram, I turned to like I don't know who I was <laughs> nearby at that point, but they they their exposure to wrestling wasn't. Bountiful. Yeah. Um, so when I turned to him and went, hey, look at this. They're like, what's going on in this? I'm like, well, he's got a finger gun and he, everyone's pretending that... Why are you not fun? <laughs> Get out of here! Why Suspend are you your disbelief! Suspend <laughs> your disbelief! God damn it! Oh, um, I mean, like, here's the thing. I think a match like, a match like this could only really exa- exist on an indie show... If we saw something like this on AEW or WWE, it would probably get rightfully criticized, especially because they're the mainstream product. That's where people who don't like wrestling will be looking to to criticize. And if you put something like that on here, hardcore fans like us would love it, but I can understand it would get a lot of criticism. It can only really exist on an indie show like Progress, but that's where it fits so well because people who go to something like Progress where they're hardcore wrestling fans, they know it's not they know it's predetermined. So you can have that bit of extra fun of that wink and a nod of like, okay, you had your super serious wrestling match. Let's just have one that's just a little bit silly and we can have a bit of a laugh and a bit of fun with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. Yeah. And and um, like, I think when I brought, uh, well, it was uh, the wrestling show I saw for my birthday. And when a lot of the guys came down to see that who previously doesn't didn't know all too much about wrestling themselves were like oh i get it it's like mma meets pantomime and you know what like with the style of wrestling they were doing specifically yes and it was very good props to the Mm -hmm. guys who were wrestling at that show um but i was like yeah in a way like that's definitely a style of wrestling that needs to get more uh recognition because to put on a show to make people laugh is an incredibly tough thing to do to a whole-ass audience. To capture the imaginations of people and make them laugh, I think it's something definitely to the credit of both of these teams. Mm. I've seen a lot more of the anti-fun police as I have Team Tremendous um, because just of their exposure on um, the British scene. Um, And from what I have seen, my word, could he just hold a crowd in his in their pockets like so so elegantly and they can um from what little i have seen of them at no point was i ever kind of like i don't know how to describe it you know uh when you're looking at uh say orange cassidy for example like incredibly great comedy wrestler yeah um but you're like he's got the hands in the pockets thing and he's very lazy 
yeah okay yeah. Uh, he's doing the kicks now but what 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 more i think the thing is with the uh the name of the skinnier one sorry uh chief deputy dunn yes that's the one pete, pete dunn's brother don't you know is he really wow yeah there we go um <laughs> You know, more you know. Um, more know. But yeah, but I think um, this was also at that same progress show we we're talking about because uh, he performed there. Yeah. I, I I always felt like every action of his to be refreshing, which is yeah. incredible talent uh, and incredible performative skills. Um, and yes, yeah, so I'd love that clip of the finger guns. Um, go check it out. So go, go check Instagram. it out. Yes, go check it that on the Instagram and go check this match out because I probably will after this. I'm going to put a little star next to ten. Uh, I'll give you my I'll give you my login uh, demand progress, buddy. You can go check. Thank it out. you, Gregory. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Uh, a very solid choice, and we do love fun matches. Uh, get out of here, Jim Cornette. I see you poking around the corner. Get out. Oh, yeah. This is the kind of match that would make Jim Cornette have a heart attack. He's, he's probably, <laughs> <laughs> he probably spread himself across the pavement until he became a fucking Mobius strip. Like, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous uh, <laughs> listening to him sometimes. Um, but there we go. He puts a lot of praise on MJF and CM Punk, and that's fine. Um, right. What's number nine? Number nine is a match that has now made all three of yours, mine, and Garrett's lists so far. Ooh. And that is Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate from NXT TakeOver Chicago. We're British boys. We can't help it. We can't help it. I mean, at this point, you've both kind of said a lot of what I would probably say anyway. Again, it's a match that basically in-ring, it's flawless. You've got two guys that... Me and Garrett talked about this on his, like... These are two guys that really don't ever need to plan a match. Like, if you want them to have a match on the show, they will, they're probably just like, all right, cool. And they'll just go out there and do what they always do. Like, they don't even need to really plan anything out. They'll just have that perfect chemistry to know what spots to hit in a match. And that's why, and again, like, like you said, this was one of those matches that people weren't expecting to be a big hit. Like, like you say, there wasn't much hype for it from the crowds and the build to it. All they really knew is these were two guys who had done that title tournament and had been pretty impressive, but we still didn't really know a lot about them. And then they just got put on this card and completely stole the show. Like, I often forget what the rest of the card was for this takeover. I just remember this match because I've gone back to watch it multiple times because I love it so much. And I think what I think what's what's kind of great about this match, I mean, the UK, I watched the UK title tournament and I thought it was brilliant. I would say this was the match that really made me want to go and explore the UK scene that I'd been missing out on for so long. Like, because I, until the tournament, I had no idea about how blossoming the UK scene was at that point. And then watching these two, I was like, okay, so there's there's definitely something in the water at the UK at the moment because these two are unreal. And this was the match that made me think if there was ever going to be anyone to be the first ever English born WWE champion, it'd be one of these two. Take your pick. I don't mind. Either one is more deserving of it. And um, say what you want about Pete Dunne's recent call to the main roster and be called him Butch. I still live in hope that maybe they'll both make it up there and we'll see this magic replicated. And again, I'd love to see one of them as the WWE champion. But yeah, it's just fundamentally sound. It's just even like the little... One of my favorite bits is just that bit where Tyler rebounds off the top rope and Dunne just goes, have it! And just clocks him in the head. Oh. I, just love stuff like that. And again, 
just technically solid and, and it kick-started the run of Pete Dunne being UK champion and him becoming one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Just great. Yeah, I think it's it speaks to the insurmountable uh, chemistry that these two wrestlers have of one another. Um, yeah. uh, to be able to... To be able to steal a show with no build to their feud. Well, I wouldn't say no build. Yeah. Some build. Some build. In comparison yeah, yeah. to a lot of the other matches on the NXT card. Um, and it, it, the fact that they're going in deep into the States as well, doing what they do. And it was it was like a constant explosion of action, this whole thing. Um an absolute spectacle. Very deserving uh, to be on a top 10. And I'm very glad that it got the, the trifecta. Uh, now we just need Jace to hold up his <laughs> end so he can get the bear hug um, full four stars. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I'm, look, I'm looking at the rest of the Chicago card and it was Roderick Strong versus Eric Young, Asuka versus Nikki Cross and Ruby Riot. Bobby Roode versus Hideo Itami, and then it was the Office Pain versus DIY. I think, oh, that was the ladder match. So I think, oh, that card, I remember the ladder match. But again, Pete Dunn and Tyler basically stole the show and the year. Yeah. I mean, they won multiple Match of the Year awards across various publications, and rightfully so. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's weird to say that that was a two match show, despite the fact that the rest of the matches were likely really good too. Oh, uh, yeah. Just not as amazing as those those other two matches especially the one with pete dunn and tyler bait big strong boy on it um and, and the icing on the cake of this one jr on commentary as well just for that yes! match as well yes oh my word yeah no i how could we forget um but it was it was so like because when we saw him coming out we were like what's this for this must be for like one of the bigger matches but no, the fact that it was for the UK tournament and uh, our two our two British boys, British lads, hey, British lads, 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 couple, lads, couple lads. of couple of bro, couple of brummy boys, <laughs> couple of couple of big brummy boys. That's why he's called Butch now. Um, <laughs> I think I think he'll still do well as Butch. I think he'll do hold well. Um, if anyone ever listens to Mark Andrews' podcast that he does for the BBC, I think you've mentioned it before, right? Mm. He had he had done on recently as of recording this, and it, it's they asked him about the name change, and Dunn seems optimistic about it. I, I think he's the kind of guy, no matter what you give him, he'll do his best to make it work, and he seems like quite open and not deflated by this. He's just he just wants to let his in ring work speak for him. And I think it could certainly do that. I honestly could see it being that Pete could be the next sort of Daniel Bryan success story. So he's given this gimmick of Butch, he might not be put to much use, but because he's so good, the fans will get him over to the point where the bruiser weight will have to come back and we'll see Pete Dunne doing some of the like top stuff on the main roster. That's what I'm hoping anyway. I could see it happening. Yes, ab absolutely. And... I don't mind it also because he's he's with Seamus and he's with Holland. Um, and they're doing this, oh, we watched Peaky Blinders once. What do we do with all these uh, Gaelic and Brummy people? Um, stable. And they all wear <laughs> flat caps and chinos. Uh, and that's, uh, that's fine. Because you know what the Peaky Blinders are? They're cool. That's what they are. Like, <laughs> yeah. Th yeah. Well it, Again, it's not a million miles away from what Pete's done before. When 
British Strong Style were at the peak on the UK scene. The way they dressed and did promos backstage was essentially like Peaky Blinders. So it's familiar territory. He's been in this spot before. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's 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 a definitely a very different sensation to how I feel about Gunter, um, mm-hmm. because I I don't know. I feel like Pete Dunne is. It's not like Walter, where it's like, come on, Walter was fine the way he is. Pete Dunne was very much like a malleable little piece of clay that sure was already in a really cool sculpture, but it could also look cool like this or like this. So as long as he keeps the bitter end and a lot of his moveset, and he keeps making funny noises when he goes for the forearm, uh, like he did with Enzo Amore that one time uh, where he had his actual debut. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, yet again, another perfect camera angle where he just runs in from out of shot going, yay! And <laughs> just... <laughs> But um, yeah, this uh, this match, as I said in my top ten list, is one I look back on so fondly that I rewatch it from time to time. It's on my list of matches to rewatch if I'm ever in a foul mood. Yeah, um, because come on, it's the US, it's stateside people chanting for the UK. It's a rare bit of national pride that we get to feel. Um, yeah, yeah. Number eight. Number eight. Nearly lost count already. <laughs> You're a poorly boy, Scott. We, we should point out Scott, ha- Scott has got COVID again, and I'm feeling a bit phlegmy today as well. So <laughs> Three time, three time, three time. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 this is a message for the virus. This is, I'm cutting a quick promo. Cut it out. Pack it in. Get out, get, 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 get out, out of here! Get out of here! Listen to the podcast with a get um, Right, yes, you're number eight. <laughs> number eight. Uh, number my number eight. I've gone with Kenta Kabashi versus Mitsuharu Mizawa from Pro Wrestling Noah. Navigate for Evolution 03. Um, so for a long time, I was a very sheltered wrestling fan. I was pretty much just. Only wrestling I really watched was WWE, and that's the way it remained up until basically university. So it's only been in the last five or six years or so I've really spread my wings and checked out anything and everything that I could. And I'm very happy I did. And for me, one of my favorite periods of wrestling now, it had it, always been the 90s because of the Attitude Era. But then it, looking at the bigger picture, it was also because of ECW and the stuff they were doing there. And for me, one of my favorite areas of wrestling is 90s All Japan now. So you've got the Attitude Era for the very risque, story-driven product. You've got ECW for the, again, more hardcore-based stuff and some actually pretty solid wrestling there. If you're just wanting pure wrestling, check out 90s All Japan and the Four Pillars. So I bet a lot of people are thinking, well, why didn't I pick an All Japan match featuring these two? That's because basically what this match is, is uh, Kabashi and Mizawa were both two people who have wrestled countless times throughout all Japan. Mizawa would eventually leave to form Noah and took people like Kabashi with them. And this is kind of like, again, like a bit like Ty- what we discussed with Tyler and Pete. It's a very much a greatest hits kind of match. So at this point, they were already kind of pretty ring-worn. They'd kind of already cemented their place. And they go full pound this match. I mean, this is like a 45-minute match of two dudes, again, killing one another. At one point, they're on 
the they have one of those you know those entrance ramps that connects to the ring that AEW does sometimes at the moment and it's at this point they've already laid into a lot this is towards the end of the match and Mizawa hooks Kabashi for a dragon suplex and just fucking goes for it off the ramp and they just clatter to the floor it's gnarly and you gotta bear in mind Mizawa Mizawa is what we like to call wrestling fit so so the classic thing between these two Kabashi as you can see there Athletic specimen really took care of himself. Uh, whereas Mazara's got the wrestling fit body. So the classic story is backstage at events, uh, Kabashi would basically be on, be on an exercise bike, keeping himself G'd up and prepared. Mazara would just be there chain smoking. And then they'd go out <laughs> and have like a 45 to a uh, 60 minute match, come backstage, and Kabashi would get back on the bike. And then Mazara was just up against the wall, <laughs> gasping for breath, just smoking away. <laughs> But again, like the the both these people still hold the record for the most uh, wrestling observer five star matches. Um, I believe a card is very close to beating Kabashi now. Kabashi was number two, and Mazar was number one. A card is close to beating him. He probably will, given he's still quite young. But yeah, this is like another five star classic from them. It's just it's amazing. And the cool thing, like the, the good thing is, I suppose for us fans. If you're not familiar with 90s old Japan or even some pro wrestling Noah because of like how much of a clusterfuck the copyright appears to be, it's all on YouTube. People can just upload it what they want and it doesn't get taken down. I Go have, fucking nuts. <laughs> I have literally just Googled it, and the first result is the full match. The video in full on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I see what you mean. These two are, are, are like even with the difference in type of physique, mm-hmm. they're big dudes. They are big. like big dudes. Um, so that dragon suplex must have hurt so much. There's no way, there's no pillows you could put at the bottom of the ring to help with that. Not at all. I believe I, I put the dragon suplex on our Instagram. So if you bear with me a moment, I can probably screen share that. Just a second. Look at these dudes. Because it just needs to be seen to be deleted. But yeah, um, essentially, like, like again, like, like, watch anything from 90s old japan like again this on a consistent basis they were getting matches either good or mind-blowing there wasn't really an there wasn't really anything lower than that that was basically the bar they set and like it's just a shame that they're like old japan is still around but they're just they're far from the glory that they used to be uh so after after giant baba died he was their owner and founder they kind of faltered a little bit so yeah, here we go. Well, yes, yes, yes. Uh, also on the Google images as well, every strike looks stiff. It, and it's it, yeah. just a bit... Oh! Nice. Again, uh, I, like... I, this is like towards the end of the match as well. Like, we are a good half hour in, I, I think. it's He's yeah. Busted it's open on the chin. That's incredible. Well, uh, okay. okay. Even worse intentions before it, but yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry for the cameraman in the busted <laughs> shirt. Uh... Oh, and oof! Yep. Oh my god! And then just oh, just just right on the back of his neck. And this is like what they've been doing, what they were doing throughout the whole of the nineties. It's just mental stuff. How do you do that safely? I think oh my you don't. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the answer to that one. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, no, absolutely 
for audio listeners, bless your heart, go on the Instagram. What are you waiting for? You're listening to this podcast somehow. Go on Instagram. Bear you know up. who we are. You know who <laughs> we are. Follow us, goddammit. Yeah, what are you doing? Cut it out. <laughs> go watch it. And, and then once you're home, or if you're at home, what are you doing? Pause the podcast. Go open another tab. Watch the match on YouTube. Come back to us. I'm going to put a star next to this one as well. We're going to watch it later. Um, but yeah, no. Um, the Japanese style has always infatuated me because I, I, the visceral change that I experienced during uni, uh, because Garrett was very much pushing the pedal on um, the Jap- on Japan, yeah. um, uh, because I was still very much locked in the very isolated mindset of wwe is the wrestling um and it was making me kind of feel stale about the whole thing uh and i can't get blips through ring of honor stuff uh and then garab was like here's a carter i'll be like why are they killing each other make them stop (laughs) Um, why is the uh, man trying to hurt the other man I thought this was pretend fighting. What are they doing? <laughs> um, but no, uh, I uh, from that moment I was like, they're doing this safely. That's incredible, or as close to safe as you can kind of get. Um, but yeah, yeah, the the fact that you can really trace that style down to this sort of period, and even before that, nineteen eighties Japan as well. Yeah. Well, I um, mean, like, because I mean, the big the big thing with Again, obviously, this is pro wrestling. No one, they kind of took the baton from all Japan when Mazawa left and took a bunch of the guys with them. But yeah, 90s Japan essentially is broken down to the two major companies with New Japan and All Japan. New Japan has always been about strong style. All Japan is the King's Road style of wrestling where it's story-based, but not like how WWE is where they rely on backstage angles and promos and all the crazy soap opera type stuff. All their storytelling is done in the ring. And that's what I really love in a lot of matches. Like, I can watch a match and it can just be a physical contest and I can love it. But if you can actually tell a story in the ring, then I'm all the more hooked. And that's essentially what these guys do throughout all of All Japan and Interpro Wrestling Noah. And again, in this match. Because at this point, they'd wrestled each other countless times. And it was just continuing that story of these two veterans just once again going going to blows with each other. It's great. Uh, amazing for number eight. Uh, a five-star match on for number eight, Greg. <laughs> so no pressure yeah. for number seven, my dude. Dave Meltzer's watching you, you know, maybe. Who knows? Hey, Dave. He might be. Hey, Dave. Hello. How's it going? Rate our podcast five stars on... Tidy your office. <laughs> Tidy your office, Dave. <laughs> I won't tell you twice. <laughs> David. David. Tidy David. your office. <laughs> <laughs> Right. What's number seven? <laughs> number seven is the most recent. Oh, you okay, buddy? Sorry, yeah, <laughs> choking on me. coffee. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> okay, and an action. Action. Yeah, number seven on my list is the most recent match. Um, this was like a hard one. Because uh, I I swapped backwards and forwards with one wrestler who's still in this match, and I, I think I'm pretty happy that I've picked this one, and that is CM Punk versus MJF from Revolu- AW Revolution 2022, the dog collar match. 
I originally wanted to put CM Punk versus The Undertaker from WrestleMania 29 here. And realistically, on a different day, it probably would be here. But realistically, it's it's for a lot of the same reasons why they could both be here. That's because of just the story they told. Uh, I think the reason why I put this one here because it's so fresh. And again, it's one of the most recent examples of like one of the most perfectly told wrestling stories. But <clears throat> it was for me like it was obviously CM Punk's first proper major feud since coming back. And I think this is what really proved that if there's any people doubting his return, that like they weren't that impressed with it, this is what kind of shut them up and we got to see, like, oh, no, CM Punk can still do it. It was a perfectly built story, just starting simply with the fact that CM Punk wouldn't shake MGF hand, MGF's hand or say anything to him. And from there, it just keep building and building, and they got incredibly personal, bringing up references to WWE, Punk leaving, drawing on that classic, that picture that made the rounds of MGF getting a picture with CM Punk when he was a young fan. And the fact that, like, one week they swerve you by having MGF come out and almost make you believe in him because he said he was so betrayed by CM Punk leaving wrestling. The faux face turn. The faux face turn. Okay. And I, I fell for it. Yeah, I fell for it as well because then the following week they meet in the ring and I, and I, I knew, like, the dick kick or something was coming. But there was that little bit of doubt of me thinking that it wasn't, and that's just how beautifully the story was told. And then, you know, on top of that, you've got the whole fact that like people can say what they can have their opinions on whether they think MJF should have won at Revolution, but I think he already had the bigger victory by the fact he did beat Punk twice in Chicago before this. So, yeah, I I, I just think it was the right decision overall. And again, when you get in the match itself, it's just brilliantly put together. There's plenty of nice little callbacks, like Punk going up for the Pepsi plunge, not hitting it this time. And it's just a brutal affair. Like, Punk, a guy who's just come out of wrestling, nearly approaching 50, taking a thumbtack spot. The callbacks to Ring of Honor, he comes out in his old gear, comes out to AFI, just to get in oh. my head. Like, you could talk, you, you, we could literally do a whole hour's worth on just this match. Um, because Everything to the tiniest detail was just perfect about it. And um, again, it could easily be swapped out for Undertaker, CM Punk. Same kind of reasons, another expertly done story. For my opinion, Undertaker's last good match as well. But I just because I wanted an AEW match on my list, I, I went with this one. I could not agree heavier to every single word you said. Um, this match... Um, uh, if it had happened before my top 10 video would have been number three. Um, oh. Yeah. Because I, oh my God, I loved it. Um, you know what makes me tick about my stuff. So when yeah. two people who obviously are massive comic book fans uh, telling a very kind of monumental battle of the minds feud, which, uh, which they, made it feel like had been building for MJF's entire life yeah. with the picture and the story about him being bullied at school with that with the best promo of all time just uh, just just saying like in my opinion it just about pips the pipe bomb um yeah yeah no come Ooh, at me that's come a hot take me. but uh, i respect hot, it it's a hot take. i respect it i respect it it's a hot take but i'm a hot boy um i'm not um <laughs> Uh, what am I doing? I'm so ill. Um, <laughs> I'm delirious. I think I fit in that. 
but yeah, um, I think I think I saw like this really good comment on the match itself, where it was like throughout this entire feud, um, MJF uh, put himself as like CM Punk created his own nemesis type yeah. storyline uh, through like not even like hubris just accidentally by being such an influential figure he created this storybook kind of syndrome from incredibles-esque villain in mjf and it's every bit of it seems so thought out methodical incredible made you tune in every episode of dynamite and it all culminated to this like and at the time i was like this match is really slow but whilst i was watching i was like no, there's a reason for that. This is they're selling every little bit of it. Um, they're selling every bump, every hit with the chain, um, to the point where they are both gushing with blood, uh, and they're leaving it all on the table, and it culminates all so perfectly. And Wardlow uh, is just one of those wrestlers that has always been like kind of there. He's yeah. like like the guy in the background of the screen painting. He's always there. And he's always like significant. He's got the look for sure. Um, and I didn't know. I was like always like, oh, is he just a muscle guy? Is he always just kind of like going to be the the Jake Hager who comes in and muscle? Um, but the timing and like the facials of the whole, oh, not that pocket, not that pocket. He took his time with it. He was like, he didn't get excited by the moment. He was just, nope, calm, collected. Oh, even took his time taking out. Like, would you look at that? Really baited the crowd with it, and it and the crowd, the crowd as well, hot for this entire thing. Absolutely, um, and rightfully so. This is, I'm jealous of this pick because it was going to be on mine and but it, god damn it it happened it should have been recently. mine it should have been me um, <laughs> no but you uh, are right i mean again like like what i love about when you get to the match itself it, it's not like an incredibly quick or fast paced match for the most part but that's kind of the point they kind of really what's the right word they they really sort of bigged up the fact like the dog collar match should be a dangerous match and that everything that's done in it should, like hurts because it, it probably does. And that's what they do with it. Like every little move of the chain, every little hit with it, it's done in such a way that like you believe that they are taking chunks out of one another, which they probably were. I mean, got to suck getting whipped by a chain. I can't imagine it's fun. <laughs> um, and, then, and then it's just the fact like, what I go as well is that they don't, oh, a lot of people would take this kind of match because it's a no DQ. And maybe, like, the dog collar should be enough, but then they'll try and add more weapons to it. Realistically, the only other thing they introduced in this is the thumbtacks. Yeah. And that's all they needed. They didn't need to go overboard with having chairs or tables along with the dog collar. It, they just let that be the central focus and have that little thumbtack spot at the end. And, yeah, everything about it was just so well done. I mean, it, it was just kind of the perfect conclusion. I mean, one of my favorite parts is the whole punk doing the cross-legged announcing the match, asking MGF to be his Valentine in the whole callback to just the yeah. Piper and Cortland thing. Just so good. Amazing. And also with the Wardlow thing, like the narrative parallels of MGF not realizing that he also created his own nemesis yeah. in the process of being him as well. 
and the cycle continuing and continuing, um, it just it feels like a just a beautifully told story in all of its violence. Uh, and like you said, it didn't need a table spot, didn't need a chair spot, didn't need a ladder, didn't need blowing through part of the stage. I get how a lot of matches do need that, and yeah. that's fine because I like that stuff. But this one knew it knew its tone stuck with the tone and oh wow yeah oh so oh so brilliant if any match or feud beats this one and i know it's still early this year then you know we're in for a real treat absolutely no i couldn't agree more number six number six gonna beat the last the last couple <laughs> come on greg <laughs> Am I, am I just like am I just like keep having to try and peek myself? Is that what's yeah, happening? Yeah, no, here? you're you're <laughs> you're the one who's raising this bar, Greg. So this is this is your doing. This is your doing. Go on. Uh, yeah, number six, uh, a match that I've watched countless times because it's very short and sweet, but incredibly, incredibly brutal. And that's Katsuri Shibata versus Tomohiro Ishii from the G1 Climax 23 Day Four, I believe. Um, yeah, I absolutely love this match. I, essentially, this is the match, and I use this as an example when I appeared on the, the Nothing More Annoying podcast to argue my case of people shouldn't call wrestling fake or judge others for liking wrestling, is when people say wrestling's fake, I will be like, okay, right, sit down and watch this match and tell me afterwards if you still think it's fake. This is just 10 minutes of two dudes murdering each other. That's the only way you can describe it, murdering each other. Essentially you watch this match and you realize why Shibata had to retire when he did and because of the injury he had because there's just points where they're straight up headbutting each other. There are points where they're just basically straight up throwing forearms. My favorite spot in the match is Tomohiro Ishii is laid out, sat in the corner, and Shibata does his running drop kick. The freaking hang time he gets on it and then the connection he makes is just brutal to watch but an absolute chef kiss. It's just absolutely stunning. Just it's just ten minutes of pure strong style wrestling at its at its probably at its peak, and it's just unreal. The wrestler versus the pitbull. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that's just a a cool title for a match. Yeah. Um <laughs> and I I think yeah, it, it's a shame with everything that's going on with Shibata. Um, yeah. uh, but if there is a Full on comeback to be had, then we will always hold out well, hope. But I mean, it, I mean, he's, he's obviously as of recording this, he was back for Wrestle Kingdom, and it seems like mm. he is doing more. Obviously, quite limited. On the one hand, you look at it and think he really shouldn't have been doing this, but then on the other, you, you realize how dedicated he was to like being mm. this guy of like what he wanted to do. And yeah, there was a lot he probably shouldn't have done, like. Obviously not this match, but when you see his match with uh, Okada and he headbutts him and just the trickle of blood comes oh, down. And yeah. yeah. But I mean, at least we've got matches like this where you can see his dedication and that he was someone dedicated to it. And you wouldn't go up to him and say it's fake because he'd kill you. These are two guys who could kill you in like, I'd say five seconds maximum. Um, especially Ishii. I mean, yeah. New Japan have this habit of creating um, basically 
people who who would walk down the ramp and be like, "Car, it murder me." Whilst WWE would have someone come down the ramp and be like, "Car, what's going on there?" Um, <laughs> uh, but no, um, these these two guys, I've not seen this match, but it would not surprise me that this is an absolute clinic, absolute clinic. Um, have these guys wrestled a couple of times? They have. So, believe it or not, the first time I saw them wrestle was actually, I think it's their, it's the match after this. It was, they they had a, they essentially had a similar match that was 20 minutes, but like, it's like 20 minutes long. At, it was at the following Wrestle Kingdom, I believe, or like one or two Wrestle Kingdoms after this. That's another good run. I, I really love that one because again, it, it's the same kind of situation, but they do go for a bit longer. Uh, where so I think it can not necessarily plot a bit, but like the reason why this match is so good is it is literally just a brisk ten minutes, and it doesn't hold up for a single second. It's just full on for those ten minutes that you that you just most of the time you just sat there with someone and just going. It's like we said before. Why is that man trying to kill the other man? <laughs> it, it's a bit like Walter and Dragonoff. You feel a bit dirty at points for watching it because you're just like I. I feel like I'm going to watch someone die. Yeah, yeah, that's that kind <laughs> of like, like that's, die. that's that's like when does this start becoming a live snuff film type yeah. like feeling? <laughs> um, but you're like, they, they're safe, right? The ref, the ref's there. He's still calling it. He's he's thinking this is fine, so it's fine. Um, yeah. But like, it, yeah, sometimes like you need a nice ten minute all or nothing. Like there is no big over overarching thing although that is lovely and it should happen more often but sometimes yeah. if you can have like if the if the feud demands it a good 10 minute battering of two big meaty boys uh just <laughs> happens in the ring then absolutely i'm gonna watch that and absolutely i'm gonna enjoy that um because who wouldn't hell like, yeah man yeah it's, no it's and it's it's but it's bite-sized enough to be like i'm going on my lunch break at work um how about I watch two men beat the absolute snot out of each yeah. other? Yeah, and again, and again, that's why it's it's that perfect thing because you can quickly show it to someone. It's not going to take up too much of the day. And again, it's that perfect ammun ammunition for if you do meet that one person who does get on the high horse saying that all oh, wrestling's fake and all this, and it's like, no, watch, 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 just watch like even a couple of minutes of this, and I'm pretty sure you'll change your mind that it's not fake. That what they're doing can be very real. And can massively fuck them up. <laughs> like, yes. Right up, they're, they're taking this to another level, but still, you can't look at it the same way afterwards. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Especially, especially if I, if, say for instance, if I pulled up at a junction somewhere uh, and someone knocked on like my car window and I rolled it down and Tomohiro Ishii is stood on the other side of the window i would get out the car key still in the ignition i'd gesture him gesture for him to get into the seat he would get in and i would walk home uh, <laughs> no, no complaints, not even not even a uh not even any bargaining i would accept my fate for what it is is better than what it could have been um yeah. uh absolutely um so if you're listening to this tomohiro uh Take my car whenever you need it, and please, <laughs> please don't hurt me. <laughs> you can you can have my work van if you want. It's all good. <laughs> Ever wanted to good. be a postman, Tomohiro Ishii? <laughs> Tomohiro, I mean Tomohiro, I don't have a car you can take, but if you want to come around and just take something out of my room, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> you want just... a PS5? I've got a PS5. <laughs> 
There's a. I'm just imagining like he comes through the door. It's just behind you. There's like I like this poster, and they, they want to. to they want. I want to believe. It's like I like this. This is mine now. It's like yeah, cool, cool, dude. It's, I just love this image that Tomohiro Ishii is just a huge X Files fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think we would get along quite well. <laughs> Please let this be true. Uh, <laughs> right, where were we? Um. Yes, number five. Number five. Okay, because um, Garrett did this on his list, I've, I've awarded myself the same courtesy because on any given day, I could swap any of these matches out from this trilogy. Like, for a different reason, they could be in this list. So that's why I'm just kind of including all three of them. And that is CCK versus LEX from Progressor uh, episodes, uh, the Coast to Coast New York show, Chapter 80 and Chapter 87. For me, this is the best tag team wrestling ever. I you could put any three of these matches up against a lot of the big classics, such as um, Garrett. Obviously, really loves Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks, for example. Uh, anything uh, like Doug Furness and Dan Crawford versus uh, Kenny Kabashi and Kikuchi. But for me, this is like the peak of it. So. What's interesting is the story they told. So essentially the first match was just because Progress were doing this American tour. So obviously they had a lot of their the top British talent and they got in a lot of local American talent. So obviously in New York, they managed to get a hold of LAX, who were still in Impact at the time, I think. Yeah. Obviously they were because they were using the LAX name then. So this is obviously Santana and Ortiz I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, essentially it's just a friendly, it starts off as just this friendly match of like essentially the best team from one of the best teams from England against one of the best teams from America, and they just completely go at it. Um, somewhat the best team from England. I think this is, uh, Lycos, unfortunately, isn't in any of these. It was all Gresham, because I think this is these were the times when Lycos were injured. But yeah, it's lots of a friendly match with CCK getting the win on LEX's home soil. So after the tour ends, there's a couple of chapters, and they managed to get LEX across to the, the Electric Ballroom in Camden, and they have a part two with LEX picking up the win on now CCK's home soil. So that sets it up perfectly for a third match. And by this point, the whole thing has just been a friendly contest. It's just these two amazing tag teams, one whose moniker is sick fucking tag moves against LEX, who were no, who are no slouches in the tag move department either. Constantly just trying to want to be joined by now, it's 1-1. Get to the third contest, and this is where it starts to get a bit nasty. CCK are pulling out all the dirty heel tactics to try and get that third win. So it starts off the match being as a friendly contest. By the NCCK are doing everything they can to win. And it's the uh, we talked about this match, actually, the third encounter on our top five favorite tag team matches. This is the match where, to get the win, CCK, uh, I believe Gresham gets, Ortiz in a figure four, rolls out the ring, so they're on the outside. Then Brooks gets Santana into the crowd and gets an octopus hold on him. They leave the holds in until it gets to about the eight count. Then they release and CCK dive back in the rings to get the 10 count victory. So very cheap oh. victory. And it's one of those rare examples of a countdown finish. A lot of people hit them, but if done right, it's the perfect thing to set up the next match. Um, there's a bit, there's a reason why I'm not putting their fourth encounter on. So the fourth encounter happens a couple more chapters later when they did uh, the natural regression 2019, I think. Is that the three versus three where it's got like Eddie Kingston and Lycos yeah. in there now? Yeah. So at the end of the third encounter, Santana and T's pissed off, got on the microphone and say they will be back and they're bringing a friend. And this is like 
what essentially helped bring Eddie Kingston more into progress for a while. The match is good. It just compared to the other three, it's mm. it's it's a bit of a clusterfuck. So it's like a no, it's a tornado tag, no holds barred. Weapons are brought in. It's still a great match, but then it is sloppy in parts because it, it's the typical thing of indie tables not breaking, things like that. And it still it still reaches a good conclusion at the end. But I would just say compare the rest of it. the way I can liken it to is so. Think think of like Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Imagine if they had a similar series of matches, which they somewhat did. You've got two, essentially, the best technician wrestlers on the planet. And the whole feud is just built around that. And then after three contests with some of the results, the final match is going to be a hardcore match. Doesn't really fit, does it? Mm. I just feel like for the type of story they were telling and the matches they were doing, which was just all about them proving which was the better tag team, you didn't really need to introduce weapons or a hardcore element. You could have done, you could have still done the the free on free, bring the backup in. That would have been best enough, but you could have just still kept it as like a standard tag team affair and still told the story you needed to. So that's why the fourth one doesn't quite make the cut, even though if you want to get the full round of story, it is still worth watching. But for me, their first free encounters are brilliant. And it's one of the, one of my favorite trilogies, technically quad, quad, quadrilogy for the last one, but yeah, it's just, it's just like the, the tag moves are unreal. And there's still like little moments where they just stop and have a bit of fun. Like there's like a whole segment, I think, in the third one where they're just having a contest at who can gyrate the hips the best with Gresham. <laughs> I, like he can't do it properly, so he really awkwardly shifts his hips around and just looks really awkward. And then they even get the referee involved. And yeah, it's it's got like all kinds to it. It's just really good. That, well, that's... it. That's a great way for this feud. It's a great way of getting heat on a on a on a feud about yeah. getting the getting the away win, as we call it in 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 football. Uh, yeah. Like going to America and getting the away win, and then coming over here and getting the away win. Like that. That's how like like derbies are made. Because uh, I don't know the full story, but like um. I don't know why Vince McMahon hates hometowns so much. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think it's. I think it's. There's. There might be ties to like the screw job there, where he was like bitter about how that went down or whatever. But like, yeah, a hometown, as we saw with Britt Baker, and as you saw with with MJF, and as we've seen with people like British Bulldog and stuff like that. Home field advantage is a very, very cool storytelling technique in wrestling. Home country advantage is even more fun. Yeah. Because uh, it brings in that f- that like weird innate bit and like nationalism. Uh, so when it's when, like you said, this beginning is a friendly contest and then going into that like more kind of prideful blood feud that it ends up turning into. Yeah, I'm putting a star next to this. I'm watching the ever-loving heck out of these matches. Um, thanks for your login, Greg. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we all know, we've all, we've all seen the work of the Inner Circle by now. We all know how good uh, Santana and Ortiz are. And Gresham, of course, need need 
need more be said of his current achievements and what's going on with him right now. As for Chris Brooks, let me make this incredibly clear. We love Chris Brooks. We fucking love Chris we Brooks. We love Chris Brooks. Um, could I make that more clear? No, because we love I him. Mean, here's what really excites me. So as of recording this, AEW has just announced their new partnership with DDT. Chris yes. Brooks works for them. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of strong rumors that Gresham is to sign with AEW. Could get this feud in AEW. It's not out the realms of possibility. Yeah, get Brooks in AEW. Heck, Heck put CCK against the Young Bucks. That would kick off. I mean, like I said in my in my top five, when our top five people will become all elite. I'm still, I still want all of Shard and Friday there. But if we can just at least get Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham there for now, then yeah. hopefully the rest of the stars will align. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm asking you there whilst you're window shopping. Get Aussie Open over as well because yeah. they're great. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I I sort of semi knew about this trilogy parentheses quadrilogy uh i knew of it uh but there's so much wrestling and so much good wrestling that it's 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 hard to keep up sometimes and you do need it uh streamlined and spoon fed so i appreciate that that's exactly what's happened to me right now um but yes (laughs) thank you ever so much for that greg a solid number five um now we're getting into the 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 nitty-gritty number four Number four. Well, I mean, you're right about the nitty-gritty there. I'd say these four matches in particular are definitely why I'm a wrestling fan and I'm going to have some big stories to tell for some of the later ones, but this is just sort of more of a fun one. This has got to be one of the matches I've seen probably... The, I'd probably say this is the match I've seen the most, absolutely, like completely, and that is the 2001 Royal Rumble match. Oh, mm. For my money, the best match. So, so the way I like it... What a, what a good Royal Rumble should be is imagine you've got it should be structured so imagine if you had like a chapter select on a DVD you want a Royal Rumble match would basically be a, it should have storylines converging to it and it should be setting up storylines but more than that if you want a solid one it needs to be built up into segments and that's what this one does so it, it goes from something like the opening eventually having Matt and Jeff squaring off for what was probably the first time in WWE ring, which is brotherly respect. That then has Drew Carey coming out with both of Matt and Jeff then getting eliminating themselves. And then that's when Kane comes out and nearly choke slams them through the ring. Then after that, it goes into the part of the match where it's basically like, it turns into a hardcore match. You get all these different hardcore wrestlers bringing weapons out and start beating the crap out of each other. Then Kane, after that goes on his absolute tear, beginning his record-setting elimination streak, throwing people left out, le- out left, right, and center. Then you get the Honky Tonk Man coming out for a legend spot, and he gets absolutely clobbered by Kane with his own guitar, and so on <laughs> and so forth. And that's just the way that this rumble keeps going on. And again, so many storylines were happening going into it, and so many were set up coming out of it. And again, it's sort of, it's just such a stacked rumble. I mean, this is when WWE had one of the most stacked mid-cards ever, and just to watch the names come out proves that, like, Everyone there is a star and is someone that everyone loves. And again, it's one of those rumbles as well where I, I guess you, you you could see the winner coming because it was Stone Cold and this was his third and final rumble win. But at the same time, there was plenty of names in there that you could believe if someone else picked someone else. So again, The Rock is in this rumble. Undertaker's in this rumble. Kane's in this rumble. And before 
going into it, he has set up like quite a big star. Rikishi came out at number 30. He was becoming quite a big star. In fact, as all, well. all of Two Cool were in this rumble because they had that little the, the spot with them all dancing together, right? That's the 2001, mate. Oh, bugger. Yeah, no, I did see that they were all in this rumble. I was like, oh, I wasn't sure, but yeah, no, you were. Yeah, right. so, um, yeah, like the, 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 this is the one where, um, so at one point, Undertaker and Kane are basically the only two in the ring. And the big thing is like, announces like, oh, I'll be on the same page. And they basically work as a team for a little bit. And then it's just them two in the ring. And Scotty Too Hot, he comes out with like a look of absolute fear on his face because he realizes <laughs> he's about to get absolutely fucked. <laughs> and he yeah, gets into the ring and gets completely annihilated and turfed out. <laughs> We we love Scotty too hotty. I mean, heck, look at look at the name in in, in my uh, but it's that way. Look at look at the look at the name right there. Um, is what I used to be called in primary school. In fact, uh, there was a teacher that used to call me Scotty too hotty, which made me feel a kinship towards that wrestler. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but the, uh, an absolute solid choice because I'm looking at this rumble and I'm seeing not just the names you mentioned, but I'm seeing uh, like. Like Raven is in there. Um, like, like you said, Honky Tonk Man, The Godfather, Taz, Bradshaw, Hardcore Holly, William Regal. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, Billy Gunn, uh, and uh, what a, a, a last two of Kane and Stone Cold Steve Austin as well. Um, there's that image of um, Kane with the chair. Is that the final spot? Yeah, so, so the final spot's great. So it, it has a bloody Austin, because essentially Austin's Austin at this point was still, had only just recently come back and he was still in the feud with Triple H because Triple H had been the one who'd orchestrated the hit and run on him. So they, 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 they wouldn't, uh, earlier on in the night, Triple H was in a world title match against Kurt Angle and Austin screws him out of the belt. So as Austin comes out the ring for this, Triple H does the same, tries to do the same for him, bloodies Austin up and leaves him on the outside of the ring. So Austin gets, eventually gets in the ring Busted open and bloody comes down to him and Kane, and then it's the coolest visual ever, where Austin has a chair and is just swinging for the fences on Kane. Then does a massive run up and clotheslines him, nearly takes himself over with him, then just re rebounds back and does a barrel roll, and is just like all oh. blood coming down him. It's just such a cool visual. Just something about Austin covered in blood just makes a cool visual. Yeah, because he's like your typical like. If WWE was in the same universe as, say, the Expendables movies, then uh, like Austin would be the guy at the front. Yeah, uh, he is—he is an action movie hero come to life, uh, but like ramped, to, ramped like to the max in a lot of his just kind of like oh, I don't give a crap kind of sensibilities, which is quite enough uh, choice made there because Austin is in the first Expendables film. Is he really? He's he's one of the villains, yeah. He's like the main henchman I of the did villain. Not know this. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I know about the Expendables movies, and it's because I have a uh, one of my best friends growing up is from Bulgaria. I can't remember what year Expendables came out, but when it came out, um, my my friend was like, "Ah, they filmed it all in Bulgaria. Bit of national pride there." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, no, totally get that. Fair enough." Um, but uh. That's all I know about the Expendables movie, other than it's just got loads of loads of blokes in it with guns. Um, yeah. Uh, but Stone Cold, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I I I think that they uh, they couldn't have struck gold harder with um, Austin, and yeah. he's like the classic Rumble winner. 
and that final two of the classic Rumble winner against the classic Rumble competitor of Kane, with all the accolades that he still uh, he held until Braun Strowman beat it semi-recently. Yeah. And he held on to that for a while. Oh, so, yeah. Um, well, like, Kane yeah. had that record for a good 11 years. It was actually Roman, I think, beat it first. And uh, then technically Braun got it because of the greatest Royal Rumble. But yeah, Kane had it for like 11, 12 years before that happened. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I'm going to put a star next to this. This is another one I need to watch back. I love a good Rumble. And that's thanks to Brogan because he gave me a big DVDs, a big uh, big box of DVDs. Okay. Um, yeah, I think he borrowed it off of someone else and then mm-hmm. lent it to me. And I, I that was during uni, uh, and I still <laughs> have not given that back. It's on the side <laughs> in my room. Uh, so yeah, no, I um, whenever Wi-Fi is down, I stick a DVD in. I like a, I like a good DVD, uh, and that is one of my regular rotators. So. Um, yeah, always always big on a rumble, and this is a this is a great great choice. This is the best rumble. I'll put that out there right now. Best Royal Rumble ever. Yeah, I I I'd say it's. I'd need to. I'd really really dedicate my my brain cells to to it. But it's, I, it's like it's definitely one of those ones where it's in contention. Like for a lot of people, it could be um, ninety two, where obviously Flair won. That's up there for a lot of people. It's like, oh like yeah, this one. Yeah, the, like there the, are the, the, the released five rumbles that people will argue is the best one. So yeah, yeah. Even heck, even even Nakamura, Nakamura was, that was a great. That rumble. was a great one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sweet. Uh, we're now heading headfirst into your top three. We are indeed. Uh, uh, number three. Um, I I I I'd say a lot is owed to this match. So again, I've. Ever since I got into wrestling, I would say I've never had a lapse period like a lot of people do. I've stuck with wrestling, and particularly WWE. There were points I wasn't watching it, but I was always going online to keep up, watch highlights when I could, etc. But there were, I would say there were points where I felt like I was, was losing hope a little bit until this match came along and really sort of showed me what could be out there, and that is Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn from NXT TakeOver Dallas. Shining bright on my list, too. Um, So, yeah, it's just this, this, I remember watching this match, I think I watched it live, or maybe the day after, but yeah, at this point, um, I think it was in my second year of uni, I didn't. I hadn't watched a lot of NXT. I was still watching a lot of WWE because the network had just come along, and then I, I was still very new to NXT. And again, I was not familiar with who Shinsuke was. I knew because this, this his name came up at the time when it was the big four signings. It was him, AJ, and obviously Gallows and Anderson. Shinsuke was the only one I wasn't that familiar with. Um, so I had no real expectations of what to expect when this match came about, and then from the instant. The lights go down and that music started playing. I was like, okay, this guy's weird, but I dig it. I really like it. And then he gets in the ring, the match begins, and it was unlike anything I hadn't seen before. Like, you got to think I'd never seen anything akin to Strong Style before. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, what the hell is this kind of wrestling? This is unreal. Like, Shinsuke and Zayn go hell for leather in this match. And like, from the, the this first spell to the end, they're just killing each other. Again, it's just some of the stiffest strikes. I mean, 
Sami Zayn's solid wrestler. I never thought I'd see the day he was like full on throwing these stiff forearms in another dude's face. Clearly, just trying to match Nakamura move for move. And I, I think it's one. Of, I, and I remember it was one of the first matches I'd seen in a long time where I, I was I was sat on my bed, like lying in my bed, and by the end of the match, I had somehow migrated to sitting on the edge of my bed, just staring intently at the screen, reacting to everything that was happening. <laughs> I was I was just like this is unreal, and yeah, it, it's it's one of those ones I've gone back and watched multiple times, and it never loses its appeal for me. The one thing I can say about it, which I think we talked about in yours, is that it's a bit of a, a sour note because this is like still for me, like Nakamura peaked with this first match, and I just mm. we just haven't seen the same thing out of him throughout the rest yeah. of his degree. He's done still doing great stuff, but it just feels like he he, he threw it all out there in the first match. And hasn't quite hit that same level again. Whether he's been allowed to or not, he just still hasn't hit. In my opinion, though, that's what makes this match so special. Yeah, because it's it's special for a multitude of reasons. It's like it's like a passing of uh, of of an era, like I said, like I said in, in my top ten. Uh, but the fact that it is a flash in the pan, it's a one. It, it ended up being, despite the fact that they're both on the same brand, I think a once in a lifetime type match to see in WWE where all of a sudden we're getting these layers in terms of like their style of wrestling and how they apply them and why they apply them happening yeah. in this match. And then, it, then the complexities come in and how they counter each other during that mindset. Cause Nakamura does go a little bit Western in terms of the spice he puts into his strong stuff. But Sami Zayn goes full strong style for a lot of his stuff. But whenever he goes Western, Nakamura has a counter for it. Every inch of this match felt like a felt like a glorious chess game. Uh, and I'll tell you who sold Nakamura to me during that first initial Big Four signing because he yeah. did uh, like Adam Blompier did a video on the on the on the uh, yeah yeah for getting signed. And I was religiously watching What Culture back then in my first year of uni. Um, just to keep up with the wrestling, because, uh, like, as you said, it, it got it got it got hard, uh, and sometimes that some that very funny YouTube personalities made that a lot easier, which uh, I think a lot of Adam Blompier's popularity can be credited to that. Yeah. Um, when he summarized who Shinsuke Nakamura was by saying he was like old boy meets Michael Jackson, um, yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. like. Saying like the like he should be treated as the Japanese Brock Lesnar, and watching his match against AJ Styles that year at Wrestle Kingdom, mm. I'm like, absolutely, look at this guy. I was I was like looking up like Google articles about this guy's entire history, being like, who is this gentleman? Who is this? Who is this guy? What kind of amazing uh, Avengers Inf Infinity War type crossover event are we about to see happen in WWE? NXT and that was the build up in my head suddenly I understood what this match was and it was yeah yeah and like, like I said like like you said it's a shame but the fact that this was a fashion of pan in my opinion made it all the more special yeah I agree um I I, I still hope that we'll see similar brilliance from Nakamura I, I, again I think when we discussed it at the time I think a lot of it is because 
the, you don't see a lot of strong style in WWE. And I think when you get the main roster, I think it's something Vince doesn't really want. So that's why he's probably a little bit shackled. I mean, he still does great stuff. Like his character stuff can be fun. It can be interesting. And he has had a few decent matches on the main roster. Again, it's, it's just compared to what could have been from seeing this match. It, you can't help but feel a little bit disappointed. But overall, again, it, I'm grateful we got it because I don't think I, I would I would have ever quit watching wrestling. But again, it was just this was like a, a good period because this is where things got really interesting again. Like stuff on the main roster was still a little bit hit and miss, but there was still some cool stuff there. But this was like what this was like the this was like the perfect point where NXT would then go on a complete hotbed of takeovers. Um, because this was like the same area where DIY were like the, the tag team champions, and that obviously led into their feud. You had Asuka eventually would come in as well for the women's side of it. So much cool stuff going on, and it really kind of helped me reinforce my love of wrestling and see that there was still an aspect of WWE where stuff was like good. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, like, uh, like, like you say, like just like keeping in tabs of wrestling sometimes it's 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 one of those weird things where it's easy to fall out of love with it but it makes the roller coaster ride all much also much better when you fall back in love with it and mm -hmm. it's yeah it's it's stuff like this that that does lend that because when you watch the match as well you see the crowd and attendance feed off of what's going on in the ring and yeah. you can imagine them all being wrestling fans this is there's something that might have happened to them at some point there is a dip that does happen. There is, oh, there yeah. is like, you can you can lose your interest in this sometimes. It's easy to get bogged down, but yeah, that everyone in attendance is so lucky for having seen this match, and that's the absolute brutal spectacle that it is. I agree. No, again, it's 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 one that I've just absolutely loved since the day i've seen it i think this match immediately became something if i thought about a top 10 as soon as i'd seen it like okay that's definitely a top 10 favorite match of mine it's just crazy i mean it is it's just like it's just like throughout it's just there's so many great moments in it like like the whole zane going for the ddt through the turnbuckle and getting oh. caught with that beautiful that spinning kick. kill kick oh it's oh. so good and again, it's just the fan. It was like, what, what a hell of an arrival. What a hell of a debut for someone. I mean, again, I, I imagine we weren't the only people watching that who had no idea who the hell Nakamura was. And he kind of showed why he should be considered a big deal from day one. It was just unreal. Incredible. Um, yes, uh, a solid pick because I picked it. And I think I put it in a <laughs> similar place. It's either there or I think it was there. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, we're on similar territory with that one. Yes, so that's why I'm saying a very good choice. But you're, you're, you're the, set, the same hurdles come up, Greg. You're in the high jump in the Olympics, and you keep you're notching the bar up yourself. Uh, so tell me, your number two. Number two gonna... is there's going to be there's going to be a bit of a story to this one because uh, this match really kind of I guess sort of saved me at a point when I was really low. In a sense, I'll explain. So my number two pick is Ilya Dragunov versus Jordan Devlin from Progress, Chapter 91, Prog on the Tyne, which was their first and so far only show in Newcastle. So to give you the backstory about this, um, essentially what was one of the like lowest parts of my life was my last year living in London. So to give people a little bit of background, I spent I was I was in London for four years. So I went there for uni. So three years I was at university and 
you'll know Scott because when we became friends, like you know, I, I carried a lot of baggage with me to London that took a while to get over. Um, my first year was very dicey. Like there was one point where Jace had to come surprise visit me on a weekend because I was in a really low place and he just wanted to make sure I was okay because it was first time away from home, dealing with a lot of stuff, which I don't really want to get into here. You, you're you aware of it. Um, and then things got better because like I loved you. I was loving uni life. Life in London was great. I met people like yourself. I had loads of friends. It was great. Then the fourth year rolled around. So uni had ended. And what happened was I stayed. Every Most of the people I'd made friends with had left because they were finished and didn't want to stick around, which is fair. I can't blame them if they wanted to go back home. And I was stuck working a job I fucking hated full-time to pay rent and had nothing. I was just incredibly lonely. And that's what it boiled down to. Like, I would spend most of my work, my waking days that last year at this work and this job I hated. Would barely see people, which is why I was grateful for the people who were there. So massive shout out to people like Garrett, Lucy, Ella, and Oliver when he was still living there. Because without them, I'd have gone mental. And obviously yourself when you were around, but I think you you'd obviously gone by that point as well. Um, uh, I was uh, that was in my final year of uni, but I yeah. was I was so you were there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you were there for a little bit. It was then obviously when that summer rolled around, you obviously went back home, which is again fair. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I, I, like to put it in perspective, there was just some days where I just was just sat in the house and all I really do is eat pizza, play video games, and watch wrestling. The only th other than when get when I got like I, I think Gary will tell you like when I could eventually the, the highlights were when I could go around the dwelling with you guys and watch wrestling, and I was just super thankful a lot of the time because like I think I don't know whether I could hit it that well. I think a lot of people could see stuff was bothering me, and I was just happy to be with people. Uh, so again, it's that thing of like wrestling's always been there for me. And I think one of the, one of the big things that helped me pull out the phone was like, this is when I got, uh, the one thing that made London bearables was my friends, but then it was because I discovered progress. So I, I discovered what it was, got the demand, loved it and found, oh shit, well, it's on my doorstep. I can go to shows. And luckily the way it works eventually lined up. I started going to shows regularly made me feel so much better and just kind of try and crawl out of this funk I was in. And then it wasn't also that. It was also um, discover, listen to podcasts and then listen, because of progress, I listened to Choose the Night Jaw, which is Jim Smallman's podcast. Obviously, he was one of the co-owners of progress. So it just blew this whole thing open. And eventually, it got to the point where I'd hit so low that I started to rebound up. So I decided, all right, I don't want to be in London anymore. I, I, I think it was... It was been 2019, I think I left. So what happened was I had set myself three goals. I was like, I'm going to leave London. I want to be, I want to be happy. I want to leave London and I want to get a better job. And I hit all three of those goals. And a big reason for that was stuff like progress and Tuesday night jaw. And without these, I don't think I'd be doing this podcast now. And I don't know if I'd be in a great place like I am today. And I think what kind of really sort of cemented it was like the fact that a few months of being back home, the thing that really helped me in London was coming to my home neck of the woods and this match just kind of cemented to me that I was finally in a happy place and I was finally doing well. I didn't feel like a loser. I didn't feel like a failure because that's what I kind of felt like a lot of that final year, like a failure. I'd worked so hard and wasn't achieving my goals and I was just making myself miserable. But then to have to get home and be happy again and just focus on myself and just being happy. I think this was like the perfect thing to show. I'd finally reached that point because it was this match is just an 
And it just, if you just look at the match itself, it's unreal. Like, it's one of the most amazing atmospheres I've been in for a match. Like, it, it, I, I liken it to being in a football crowd. Like, the crowd is perfectly split with people chatting for both Devlin and Ilya. And they just absolutely kill it in this match. Like, Jace was there, and he'll tell you it's one of the best, hands down, the best wrestling match I've seen live in person. It's just so unreal. Wow. Uh, need more be said, really. Um, yeah, these two wrestlers, uh, as they are, I've not seen this match either, but god damn, do I want to. Uh, these these guys would put on a heck of a match just in my head. And wh- what you were saying about, like, uh, like London and like the power of wrestling, the power of the thing we like, my art is, of course, expression. This is an art form and a very expressive one at that. Yeah, And it, it helps. It helps to relate to these guys. It helps because London is a pressure cooker, a financial yeah. pressure cooker that can isolate people. And you can get this with most other super cities across the world. You know, this is a very common thing that happens in like New York and stuff like that, where I can make people feel isolated. I mean, uh, like, uh, to not divulge too much, of course, but like you were living in a flat share by yourself in one tiny little room yeah. I know like not to name drop them but they were getting on your nerves too at one point and like it's 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 easy to feel isolated in a world like that especially when um, all you're doing is waking up, going to work living to work, working to work working to live it's it's, 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 uh, it's the modern day you know like you know, it's 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 the it's the wheels and the cogs, and it's it, yeah, it's it's genuinely like it's humbling to hear that you've gone out of that and you're happier for it. It's genuinely really nice to hear, um, and and even like you know, it's and it's it's an indictment of wrestling. It's a progress, yes, but wrestling as well that that it, that it can help in these ways and it can help people and. Um, because because what it is at the end of the day is good old fashioned fun yeah uh, it's 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 a it's a wonderful pompous soap opera of big dudes beating the crap out of each other it's punch and judy come to life and it's 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 this marvelous marvelous thing that whoever when you meet a wrestling fan boom there's so many conversations to be had heck we can do this podcast forever and we yeah. can, that, that that we still need to cover stuff and there's still so much of the rabbit hole to dive into uh and it you can build friendships off of this kind of thing i mean heck like that's that's where our, our friendship initially blossomed from over over this over wrestling oh yeah um, sure so it's it's such an important thing and like uh i know a newcastle crowd i know a newcastle crowd <laughs> yeah get yeah good I, I've heard of what atmosphere is like at St. James's Park or the Stadium of Light to that that's that's just the football stuff, let alone any of the gigs that must happen over there. Or it's like it's like a regular place to like stand up comedians to go. You know, look at look at any rock tour venue. Uh, this is me kissing Newcastle's ass at the moment. <laughs> like 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 look at any like rock tour, international or national, and you'll see Newcastle is on every single one without fail. And that's because they can they can Oh, they can bring the hype to it, and these two wrestlers as well. I mean, peak progress. Not enough praises could be said of both men. Absolutely, uh, Devlin's been like the top, the top one of the top, if not the top boy in 
WWE UK NXT. Uh, and the same with Dragunov, really. Yeah, yeah. Because he's currently <laughs> holding the title. And you know what? Like, uh, if if they do a Newcastle takeover uh, for NXT UK, bet your fucking bottom dollar I'll, I'll get on the plane over because there's no way in fucking hell I'm driving because every car I have breaks on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll get on the plane. I'm not taking my chances, <laughs> or I'll get Garrett to give me a lift. Either yeah. one. Uh, but but yes, no. It'll be absolutely wonderful to come see a, like a wrestling show up in Newcastle and come see you and come see Jace and and Oliver is he, if he's up for. Um, but yes, it's it was a really nice um, really nice summary of that match there, Greg. And I'll thank you for sharing a lot of that stuff as well. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a big advocate for like mental health and this is one thing i've been wanting to introduce in the pod more i was talking about because essentially pro wrestling has saved my life more times than i care to mention like this is mm. why i'm a fan is because it's been there for me at my darkest moments and has always helped me pick me back up i mean like i, I think it's no secret i'm a huge progress fanboy, and it's because again it was thanks to progress the few friends i had and jim smollin and choosing the night jaw that i was able to keep myself sane and like one of the darkest points where i was just feeling miserable and it was because of progress that I finally opened up my eyes to a whole bigger world of wrestling. Like that really kicked open the door and made me realize there's more to wrestling beyond WWE. And a lot of it is more to what I like as as a fan of wrestling. And that's why I've branched out to watch stuff like All Japan, Ring of Honor, like all the other indie stuff. So yeah, I, I just owe it a lot. And I think I think I think this is like the perfect again. This is the perfect match because this is like I was like just on board right when peak progress. This is when peak progress was about to come to its end. I'd say, but like what a hell of a way it finally like capped things off. It was it's just unreal, really. It just means a lot to me. Amazing stuff. Uh, yeah, um, I would love to see another progress show if they do another one. Uh, and heck, if they come to Southampton, it's not likely. But if they come to Southampton, yeah. <laughs> Well hang, on, well, hang on a second. So, Progress just announced that the a bunch of tour dates actually. I bet uh, they go to Portsmouth, but not Southampton. I bet you any money. Because um, yeah. Newcastle was on there. It's called the Viper Ooh. Tour, and every show is named after a type of different Viper snake. Neat. Okay. So yeah, there's the codename Copperhead, which is in Sheffield. Codename Cottonmouth, Newcastle. Codename California Mountain Snake in Birmingham, Sidewinder Manchester, and Snake Charmer Cardiff. So, uh, I think none what of, none of them Manchester, none of them, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Birmingham would be the closest, um, and that's still ages away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I at least know the way to Birmingham. Uh, yeah, so, yeah that's straight up. <laughs> uh, yeah, and heck, I could visit. I could visit Matt whilst I'm kind of sort of in town. Um, but yeah, no. Um, God damn it, progress. At least do one in Bournemouth. Come on. Uh, there's a beach there. Uh, are you not entertained? Um, yeah. Um, I'll get Garrett to give me a lift. It's fine. Um, right. Now, wow. What a, what, a, what a ride this top 10 has been. We're now going into the last one, number one. Greg, take it away. So yeah, number one is basically the match that basically I'd say was what cemented me 
being a wrestling fan and it basically whenever i watch it it takes me all the way back to being a seven-year-old boy completely falling in love with this crazy world and it's an absolute classic it's the rock versus stone cold steve austin from wrestlemania 17 like no by no like when it comes to a lot of what i like a wrestling i i like the in-ring quality i like absolute mac classics with plenty of like amazing technical moves and all that kind of stuff what this match is just is not really a lot of it's just a straight up brawl for the most part but what they tell in this match i mean when you think about the matches already that have come before on because wrestlemania 17 is not only it's for a lot of people their favorite wrestlemania and it's certainly mine because it's the first one i watched so i was lucky that that was a thing so it's always been my favorite wrestlemania and my favorite pay-per-view you think all the matches happen on this card by the main event, you wouldn't you wouldn't blame the fans for being a bit burnt out, but they're still red hot for it. And what I love about this match is like the build for it is pretty short when you think of it. Fair enough, the Rock and Austin had already had history, but there was only a month build for this match, and they still built it perfectly. And even in that short build, the match just begins like what I hate most now, and you see it in loads of matches. They build this amazing blood feud, and then when they finally get in the ring, the bell rings, and then they just lock up. They just do standard wrestling fair. Yeah. This yeah. match begins with Austin basically charging the rocks, doing his big taunt, taunt of the crowd as he comes in. The match begins with Austin just walking up to him, turning around and laying punches into him. And that and then that's the way the match just goes from there. It's just two guys laying the crap out of each other. And again, it's a bit similar to the MGFC and Punk match. The it's it's fast running to a point, but then it's it can be a bit slow at points, but everything they do feels believable like the bit where the rocket slingshot into the turnbuckle on the outside busts his head open austin just trying everything in his everything he can to win the title because that's what it's all about austin like the classic promo says in the high package he needs to beat the rock more than anything he could ever imagine and he's willing to do everything like he, he pulls out things like the million dollar dream which is his original finisher when he came to wwe yeah. he puts a rock bottom on the rock hits him with some missions does everything and the rock keeps kicking out and answering his call and again it's, it's only until he sides with the devil himself that he's able to put the rock down for the one two three and i know a lot of people hate that ending as a kid i loved it and I, again i've still got a lot of love for it now like for, i i think austin's healer is very underrated he did a lot of cool stuff with that whether it was the right thing to do at the time is another story but i just loved it and again i watched this match and i'm just transported back to being a little kid believing in what i saw in front of me being involved with the story believing it was like the most important thing in my world at that moment i just absolutely love it uh uh, a fantastic choice. Uh, this is, in my opinion, the match, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, WWE have been trying to capture the magic of this match, yeah, since it happened, in my opinion. And a lot of the times they have come close, and they're they all oh, they're gunning for it this weekend at WrestleMania. Oh yeah, uh, because they're like, the, the, have you seen all the promos of it being like, this is the biggest match to happen in WrestleMania history? Um, I think back to all the ones beforehand yeah this one so this this is their issue is that they've just lost all sense of how to build a good feud a lot of the time now yeah. uh, the thing is i like the roman and brock feud the issue what we've got now when, when you think about the austin and rock feud it was never forced it was just always organically built and for the most part i think the reason why it was special is because the only time they ever really squared off one-on-one was always on a mania card 
I might be a little bit wrong there, but when you think about it, their three main matches are all at WrestleMania. Anything else involved them is usually multi-man matches or maybe tag team. They're, when it came to them just fine off, it was always at Mania, always in the main event, and it always felt special with 17 still being their best outing. The, if you compare it to the one that's coming up this weekend, Brock and Roman, Brock and Roman have already had several matches before, some at Mania, and then at this point, this has been a few that's been going on, what, since like SummerSlam? Yeah. It's, it's just lost a lot of its mystique for me in the way they built it. Whereas this, they... The Rock and Austin feud, it was more or less reignited a month before Mania 17 and built perfectly. I mean, just watch the My Way video package and try not to be hyped for it. Best <laughs> you know video I mean? package ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it's there's something about spectacle in wrestling. There's so, there's, there's, there's a, that's about 40% of the game when it comes to the, the, the big spots. Uh, of uh, and it's it's about spectacle. It's to capture the imagination of the viewer and to suspend the disbelief to the point where you are watching just two like warriors in the ring against each other, two enigmatic characters. What better sums that up than these two gentlemen? And uh, and like with you saying it like that, like the way you've just pictured to me there. I never really thought of it that way about like, like because throughout the build up of the match, I know like, I know like it was it was Austin getting frustrated a lot of the time, but you putting it in the sense of like he had to sell his soul to the devil to finally put Rock away because throughout the entire video package he was there like saying he wants this more than anything in the world. At the end of the day, storytelling is just that simple. It really is. It really is. You just got to lay the foundations and build bricks on it. It's it. That's it. And yeah. with with characters like Austin and Rock, you can you can really make something special. And like I said earlier, they've been trying to recapture the magic of this this match so desperately they they've forgotten the fundamentals. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's it's a it's a textbook display of. A main event you know what i mean it's it has it has the the feel it has like like you say like at the end of a wrestlemania a crowd should be dead because so much has happened 13 well, or so matches or whatever I, I feel like these days we expect it i mean it, it's it's improved now that they've split wrestlemania over two nights but obviously we when certainly we became friends we had to endure if you include the pre-show, eight-hour-long manias. Yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose. I suppose the blessing for this one. This was back when WrestleMania was still only a four-hour show. But even then, like you got to remember, this is the show that has uh, it had a Benoit Angle match on. It had that hot triple threat hardcore match. It had TLC two, which easily could have been on this list as well. That's an honorable yeah. mention I missed off. Had the first ever Triple H and Undertaker match at a WrestleMania. Like it, it, it's a flawless show, and throughout it, the crowd never fall at once. And the fact that they still have all this energy for the final match, and again, WWE just seems to have such missed the trick with storytelling because all the story simply is Austin wants the WWE title and he's willing to do anything. And again, it, he just can't seem to beat the rock. Like throughout the match, he hits him with stunner, he hits him with a rock bottom, hits him with chair shots, and the rock keeps kicking out and getting back up. And it's only again until Vince comes out hands Austin the chair again, and Austin has to basically break the thing over the rock that he's able to get the one, two, three. 
It's just yeah. simple storytelling. Simple, but it's so effective in its simplicity. Yeah. So effective. Um, yeah, I need to rewatch this match because I, I I always kind of hold it and as big a claim in my head as like the like I said, the match. Uh this is this is where this is like a a defining match in wrestling full stop. Massive shout out in particular to this match also has my favorite commentary team, which is of course uh, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. Oh, this is like yeah. when Paul Heyman had just stepped into the booth, and um, yeah, I mean, this is like peak JR. And I, I, I honestly, Heyman is one of those people I think people often forget he did commentary because he was only, he was only in the booth like not even like the full year; it was only about nine months or something until Jerry Lawler came back. But yeah, they're they're like my favorite duo because like. It's got that perfect dichotomy of like Heyman constantly trying to just go JR because he's always on the side of the heels and always constantly digging at him, and then Jim Ross just being his brilliant self. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I am one of those people, and I will, will admit this without shame. I'm gonna also briefly bring it to football, and then take it right back to wrestling. Uh, whenever <laughs> Southampton get a win, which is rare, um, <laughs> whenever we get a win. And we have a, a, a gentleman called Peter Drury. Peter Drury. Drury. Um, he's like known as the football commentator, the JR of football, if you will. And I I usually watch the highlights to see if he's commentating. And if he is commenting on a silence and win, I will usually re-watch that, those <laughs> highlights about 10 times in a day and then do the same the next day. Because... No, I support Samson. I love Samson. But anyways, yeah. a com- com- my point is this. Commentary is so important to how you enjoy wrestling, in my opinion. I know yeah. it's a very subjective take. But when a commentary team is on fire, when they are, ma- when they are basically... When they're basically doing live freaking poetry, uh, when they're when they're commentating on a on a match and they 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 give the the all important sound bites and the all important lines that are going to be used in you know highlights and video packages and Hall of Fame packages to boot, they have such an important job. And when you get a good commentary team, it makes that match oh so much better to rewatch. So much better to rewatch, and it and it it really adds to, like, uh, it adds to, like I said, the spectacle. Um, and <laughs> I forgot they had that team on this match. Um, yeah, all the more reason to. I put a star next to it. I'm going to put a circle around that star. Doesn't really mean much. Just, just <laughs> yeah, that means it's highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Wow, you with everything you say, you sell this much. Sell this match to me more. <laughs> uh, yeah. What? Well, wow. What a list. Um, <laughs> What a uh, journey, eh? <laughs> yeah, and from that, I've got I've got some viewing to do. Specifically, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches I need to rewatch. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, man! I mean, you've got you've you're, you're ill with COVID again. What else are you gonna do? Yeah, WrestleMania I mean, yeah. weekend, baby. Just have a have a big wrestling fiesta. Yes, watch some, exactly. Watch some good shit before you're possibly disappointed. By the biggest <laughs> show of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um oh god yeah 
I keep forgetting it's WrestleMania. It doesn't yeah. feel like it. Just, it like, last couple of years, it just hasn't felt like it. Yeah. yeah. Like it's uh, been like Christmas now, isn't it? Like yeah, hard to get in the mood for Christmas. I'm kind of having the same vibes for Mania a lot more now, which yeah. sucks. I tried. I like again. What? What? Again, going back to the second match. One of the things I learned from listening to Tuesday Night Show, especially in Jim's one, is like I tried to be as positive as I can about wrestling. I don't want to be that snarky fan anymore. Uh, but I, I, I also won't hold back if I feel like it's something I'm not enjoying, and that's unfortunately just indicative of the whole WWE product at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just like it just feels like again. Not to harp on it, when you compare Mania 17 to this one, which has nearly been like 20 years difference, it just feels like WWE really lost the touch of just building stuff that makes you want to watch, that feels compelling. Like the only thing I'm really excited to see on this is the potential Cody Rhodes debut and Austin's showdown of Owens. Uh, Edge versus AJ should be good as well. And I'm, I think Bianca and so this is some stuff I'm looking forward to. I'm just, I'm not that amped up for it. Mm, yeah, it just feels like it feels like a long time, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I like, I like, it, like you say, I, I want to stay positive about wrestling at the end of the day because it's yeah. something I dedicate a lot of time to and dedicate a lot of love to. I mean, hey, this this uh, this episode's going to be coming out way after Mania's been and gone, so hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully we're wrong about this. Yeah, hopefully this but... is the best Mania of all time, uh, <laughs> and we have to reshuffle our lists to accommodate. The, the the card uh, uh per se um who knows who knows who not knows? me yeah um but uh, incredible list uh there greg uh it was really nice uh, getting to the bottom of how wrestling kind of how wrestling could kind of influence someone on their day to day like yeah it's, it's simply put like just just like having ha- like your your list of like matches that constantly change like it's a league table i might do the same thing because yeah. like i said mjf punk is on that list now but you know how much my list shuffled and shook and dipped but about so. i think i think i think at some point i will basically get everyone sat down again just to redo these lists just to see if anything has potentially changed or yeah. even just maybe get them to do a second top 10 because i mean honestly again like there's so many other stuff i could put on this list i, I feel like this is pretty solid as we say, stuff can get swapped out all the time. Like, yeah. new stuff's happening, revisiting old stuff. That's the thing, like, these lists are subjective, and again, they can, they will always change like, even by the next day. But, certainly a lot of these choices, I think, would firmly be here, especially, especially my top four. I, I feel like they're basically locked in, and I'm just happy I could share them with people. So I really hope, if you haven't seen them, go check them out and enjoy them. They mean a lot to me. Yes. Uh, and I know how much Brogan loves uh, uh, the Royal Rumble 2001. Um, I would love to do a quiz off between you and him on mm-hmm. Royal Rumble trivia, especially of that era, because like because of that DVD, he knows it so very well. Uh, so to, so if ever you are up for doing a one-on-one quiz against him, uh, oh. just to certainly up for that, and I would certainly like to get Brogan on Ultimate Top Ten. I would like to hear yes. His um i i will i will message him tonight and see what he says and i'll get right back to you because uh he's he's one of the reasons i got into wrestling as well um so there we go there we go uh this chain reaction of people just loving wrestling and then meeting each other to tell each other how much they love wrestling uh is what we do best 
Uh, Hell yeah, man. Uh, Hell apart yeah. from telling each other how much we hate wrestling at points. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, because it's it's a special thing. It's a, it's a really strange, strange niche that we found ourselves in. Like the other day, I was like on a dating app. I'd have to then explain, like, say, you know, those reality bachelorette TV shows, like, what yeah. three things do you love? And I was, I'd have to say something like anime, Dungeons and Dragons, and wrestling, which puts me in the three, three, like, the trifecta of weird nerd shit, basically. Oh, no, dude, like, mine, mine is like, again, if I was doing that, it would again be wrestling, board games, video games, and comic books. Like, I'm a guy, I'm a guy who's got a whole, Collection of toys, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Um, but the comic books are cool now, though. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's one uh, cool point. Actually, <laughs> Vin Diesel's playing D&D now. Uh, he's openly admitted to it, and he's openly admitted to Karen Gillan playing as well. So you know what? D&D's cool now, too. D&D is on the rise. I mean, a lot of... There's a, bit, there's a big... What's his name? Oh, uh, the guy... No, the guy who played, he was meant to play Deathstroke in the Zack Snyder's DC Universe. Ooh. He's, he's, got a re, he's got a name I can never friggin' pronounce, and he's married to the woman who was in Modern Family. Oh, this is going to drive me friggin' insane. Hang on a sec. I will, I will cut some of this out. Uh, he's okay. married to Sofia Vergara. Joe Man- Mangianello. Mangianello. I'm probably Joe, Joe, Mange- Joe Mangelina. 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 Yeah, because he was on Critical Role, um, like the famous D and D podcast and live show. Because um, he's got uh, his own D and D brand of like cool yeah. T-shirts and stuff like that, and he's got like I think I think Big Show's played in his D and D club before. He has. He has. Yeah, he gets like yeah. famous people in to play D and D. And a fun fact about. Uh, Joe Mangeli- Mangelino, Mangelino. Sorry, Joe. let's just call him Joe. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's just make it easy on Joe Is that like basically all the D and D stuff, um, like all like the source books for like adventures and stuff, like the pre-written stuff, um, is made by a company called Wizards of the Coast. Uh, mm-hmm. And on Critical Role, on their final episode, spoilers by the way, um, but um, Joe does this crazy move. Where he like like the the final boss has this like magic hand, and when they when they kill him, uh, what he basically does is cuts off his hand, cuts off the boss's hand, heals it on his hand, and teleports to hell to worship his god forever. And that is now <laughs> that is now because Wizards of the Coast loved that move so much. That is now canon because ah. it's in. They've written it down as canon in one of the other source books. So like like that and this dude bearing in mind also big muscly bloke big muscly jock looking bloke like tough tough bastard yeah. uh so and he's out there playing D and at the end of the day wrestlers uh, look like john cena as well so heck ner- nerd shit's in get out of the way you bloody baseball players uh <laughs> get out of the way cool kids it's our yeah. time now we're yeah, the cool kids exactly. now <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair he got like like um MMA fighters doing anime poses and shit now. So, heck, nerd shit's in. Nerd shit's in. Yeah, we we were there first. Yeah, we were the wave. Fuck now yeah. now we're very eligible bachelors. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's been an absolutely fun journey, Scott. So, uh, shall we take us? Shall we take them through the plugs? 
yes. Um, yes, uh, you you lead it. Uh, it's I'll lead it. All yes, right, I'll yes, take over absolutely, for the end because I, I would I, I I'd shit it up. <laughs> I <absolutely laughs> you've, done, would. you've done I'm, good today, but you've been a good host. <laughs> I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, well, if you want to come check us out over the socials, the Bear Hook Club podcast, Facebook and YouTube, Bear Hook Club pod Instagram, and Bear Hook Club on Twitter. Come check us out over the website as well for all the happenings and goings on. So that's bearhookpod.wixsite.com forward slash Network. Uh, at the moment, uh, the newest things we've had on were me and Garrett started our general manager series where we've been playing through my GM. So keep an eye out. There's new episodes of that at least once or twice out a week. Uh, we also had our first part of our book club where we covered Have a Nice Day as our first book. Uh, if you want to watch that, part one is on YouTube with lots of cool visuals I've added to it. Or if you want to listen to the full episode, it's available anywhere you can get your podcasts from. Uh, but until then, take care, everyone, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <Wee>. <laughs> oh, lovely.